Today I'm going to share with you a message that is pertinent with the theme that you've seen throughout our music today as we have expressed thanks and gratitude for our heritage as a nation. We've sung songs that recognize that. And today we're going to talk about the topic of freedom. <clears throat> to do that today, I'm going to draw from some messages that I've heard over the past few years and kind of pull some material together to bring the message to you today from a couple of passages in Scripture. The first is from Psalm 116, verses 12, 13, and 17, and then we'll refer a little bit later in the message to John chapter 8. Listen to the psalmist, his words, as we think about the things that we can be thankful for today, and one of them, namely, is freedom. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. Another translation would say, how can I repay the Lord for all the benefits that he has given me? And certainly one of the benefits that we are very mindful of today during this weekend, as we remember coming up next week, our Independence Day is the benefit of freedom, freedom. You may be remembering, along with me, a movie from several years ago that uh, I enjoy, a movie that starred Mel Gibson. The movie was called Braveheart. You remember Braveheart? It tells a compelling story of William Wallace, the Scottish freedom fighter who leads his people to pay the price for freedom in the face of tyranny and injustice. Wallace's fight was with the cruel rule of England at that time. England's king was named Longshanks, who was as punishing as he was wicked. As William Wallace led uprisings of freedom throughout Scotland, King Longshanks' hatred for both Wallace and Scotland grew. And as the movie draws to a close... After the heroics of Wallace and the taste of freedom that his people have enjoyed, William Wallace is finally captured through intrigue and betrayal, and it appears that King Longshakes will not only have his victory, but will also have the humiliation and domination of his foe. It is Longshanks' plan not to merely kill William Wallace, but to have him beg for mercy in public, to beg for a quick death to finally take away his dignity and his humanity and for his followers to see that. In the final scenes of the movie, William Wallace is brought to the courtyard before a jeering crowd. They mock him. They spit at him. They throw things at him. They jeer him. And then the king's executioner begins to torture him, telling them that if he just begs for mercy, then he will make it a quick death, a painless death. King Longshanks is now old and ill in bed, can't even be in attendance 
of this spectacle of execution. But he's an earshot away as his window is open to his bedroom. And he hears Wallace torture. He yearns to hear. He yearns to hear his enemy beg for mercy. A yearning that will not be rewarded. Instead, Wallace struggles to speak one last time before the executioner drops that axe. The executioner stills the crowd, and with one last gasp of air in his lungs, William Wallace does not beg, but screams with great force that word that we remember from the movie as he says, freedom! Freedom! Fighting for freedom is something that you can see throughout the annals of history. It can be seen in the ancient battles of Spartacus with the Romans. It can be remembered from the 300 Spartan warriors who would not bow to Xerxes of Persia. In more recent history, we can see it in the Revolutionary War of the United States of America. We can see it in the Second World War in the opposition to the evil Axis. Who can ever forget that scene many years ago of the students standing in front of the tanks in Tiananmen Square? Who can forget the picture of the women voting in the elections in the free Iraq with the purple stained fingers held high in the air signifying that they, for the first time, had cast a vote, a vote freely, a vote that really counted. Freedom is more than a principle. It's the core of what it means to be a human being. Americans founding fathers gathered in Philadelphia in 1776 to issue an audacious declaration that raised the humanity, the understanding of humanity to a new understanding of its possibilities and changed the course of history. It was an experiment dedicated to the possibilities of a society that was governed by ordinary citizens that gives full expression to the ideals of liberty, justice, opportunity for everyone. Think of it. When they brashly declared that all people were created equal and that governments derived their power from the consent of the governed, they were contradicting at least 5,000 years of human experience in history. Equality, consent of the government, of the governed people, these were radical, new, fragile, powerful ideas fought for many times in history, but seen in the great fruition of independence of our nation that we remember today. Perhaps the best part of the whole experiment of freedom is the new idea of the dignity and autonomy and worth of the individual. It has been observed that the most important and far-reaching idea in all of history is that all people are created equal, that all human beings have the same worth intrinsically and that all deserve respect, dignity, and freedom. And we find that in the Bible on the very first page of Scripture. 
in the stunning assertion that human beings are created in the image of God. The image of God. It's there in the Bible on the very, very first page of the Bible. And then later in the first chapters of the history of the church, we find it again. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, the apostles had remained in Jerusalem. And after experiencing Pentecost and the birth of the church, they began to preach and teach about Jesus. The authorities didn't like this. The authorities tried to shut them up. Peter and John are hauled into court, interrogated, ordered to stop preaching and teaching, but they respond, whether it's right in God's sight to listen to you rather, rather than God, you must judge. They're dismissed and threatened. And, of course, they go right back out and start preaching again, disobeying the authorities. And after a while, they're arrested and hauled into court again, questioned and reminded that they were ordered to be quiet, to cease and desist, and they deliberately disobeyed again, and they respond unforgettably in those words, we must obey God rather than human authority. And with that phrase goes the one thing into the trash that every tyranny must have, and that is the unquestioned loyalty and obedience of its subjects. Every dictator from the emperor of Japan, to the Fuhrer in Nazi Germany, to Saddam Hussein, to others, there goes the rationale they have for abuse, cruelty, and torture, where people will say, I was only following orders. No, we must obey God rather than men, a God who calls us to be reminded that all are created in his image. All deserve dignity and respect. All deserve freedom. The best idea in all human history that human beings have worth and dignity, birth there in Genesis, shown to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's an idea, an idea that's worth living for, speaking for, and many have died for that idea of freedom. And today, as we come together during this special weekend leading up to our remembrance of our nation's independence, we certainly should be thankful for our freedom, thankful for those who founded our nation on principles of equality and dignity and freedom, thankful for those who fought for our freedom, sacrificed in ways seen and unseen over the course of our country. Our nation is not perfect. We know that. We don't hold up our heads as being better than anybody else in the world or anybody else who's ever lived. But we do come here today knowing that a lot of good has come from those who've gone before us and who fought for those principles of freedom and dignity and respect for those around the world and those here in this country. Abraham Lincoln said it this way. He said, I believe it is the duty of all nations as well as men to own their dependence on the overriding, overruling power of God. Our nation's declaration of independence was not only a declaration of independence, but also a declaration of dependence on something beyond us, on God. 
and the freedom and dignity that all people should have. You can look through the founding documents and you'll find it there. We are called to come and stand on the principles of freedom and dignity for all and called to make a difference in our nation. Our nation's not perfect. Our nation needs the Christian influence as, as a conscience. In ancient Rome, years ago, Christians were taken into the Colosseum. Some of you may have visited the Colosseum on some of your trips. Christians were put to death there before laughing, mocking mobs. But underneath the Colosseum, something else was going on. There were catacombs underneath the Colosseum, passageways where they buried the dead, but where also believers worshipped Jesus and prayed. If, they had, if we had lived in that day, they would have said, you know what, there's not a chance in the world that these little people who are in their underground prayer meetings could do anything about what's going on upstairs in the Colosseum where all that brutal Brutal torture and murder was happening. But you know what? The prayers of these Christians, the faithful prayers of these Christians, over time, the fellowship of these Christians over time, the influence of these Christians over time, the love modeled by these Christians over time ignited a spiritual revolution that turned that Roman Empire upside down. Ultimately, that Colosseum and those games there would stop as a result of the spiritual influence that Christians had had. And today, as Christians in the United States of America, God calls us to make a difference, to be people who are a Christ-like influence, to call the nation to the great, great principles and precepts that our Lord calls us to, Loving others, respecting others, standing up for what's right. God calls us to be free. And God calls us as we celebrate freedom today to remember that freedom and to be the conscience of the nation. But there's another kind of freedom that we want to also talk about today. And it's a freedom that our Lord Jesus Christ talked about. Oh, it goes beyond what I've said already because it is the ultimate freedom that our Lord Jesus Christ talks about. John chapter 8, familiar words. John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36 simply says this. Jesus was talking to a group of folks who were following him and it says, to the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You hear that? The truth will set you free. They answered Jesus. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Well, the folks that heard it in the Lord's day, those Jews responded by saying, we are Abraham's descendants. 
and have never been slaves to anyone. Now, they just were pretty dense or didn't denial about what Jesus had said. Because when you think about it, they say, we're never slaves, really? Really? Not when they were in Egypt before Moses led them out? Not when the Philistines invaded their land and regulated even the way their axes and sickles were sharpened? Not when the Assyrians carried off captives of the people to the northern kingdom? Or when the Babylonians did the same to those in Judah? Not when Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the temple with the image of the pagan god Zeus? Or when Pompey and his Roman legions marched into Jerusalem to claim it for Rome? We've never been slaves to anyone? That's a flat-out denial of the facts. They're dreaming. You've seen the same kind of folks maybe in your life experience. You've seen folks that were slaves to things and they were in denial about it. They didn't realize it. We've seen those in the throes of addiction who say, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. We've seen folks who are workaholics in their life and neglecting their family and strangers to their family and they're oblivious to it. They don't have a problem. We've seen people who are addicted to things that the internet brings into our life in this culture and age, and yet they're in denial about it. Today, I almost picked up my phone as I was driving down the road to talk on the phone. Did you do that today? We're addicted to our telephones many, many times. The fact is, none of us can say we're not slaves to anyone because Jesus hammers home the reality when he says everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And that's me today. That's you today. We were trapped in sin, locked in habits and so forth that on our own we couldn't beat. We couldn't overcome. Bondage, bondage. But yes, just like the Jews in the Lord's day, many times in my life, many times in your life, we're in denial about it. We're in denial about it. We seem to say, no, no, I'm in control. I've got it all under control. But you know what? Sin makes everybody prisoners. Everyone's powerless to break free of sin on their own devices. Many years ago, one of my favorite things to do was to listen to the radio commentator Paul Harvey. You remember Paul Harvey? Yes, absolutely. Paul Harvey on one of his radio shows tells of an experiment in following, in, involving a chimpanzee that scientists were determined to teach written communication. For 14 years, the directors of this project latered with this chim chimpanzee, providing symbols in his cage to enable him to form syllables. Finally, the day arrived when it seemed that this chimpanzee was actually going to be able to construct a sentence. A sentence. The word went out. The word went out. Other scientists crowded around in the room, and they watched breathlessly as symbols were formed by this chimpanzee into words. And words were formed into sentences. And last, the first message from the world's most pampered, most cared for, most patiently trained chimpanzee were about to come, to work, come forth and be public. 
the scientists could hardly contain themselves as they pressed around the cage to watch the history-making sentence. What did the chimpanzee say? Three words. Let me out. <laughs> as ironic as that chimpanzee's cry was, when we finally admit to our bondage and sin, it strikes at our heart those three words. Let me out. Somebody let me out. Some of us are locked into behaviors and things that, that are a bondage to us and attitudes and gloom and despair and a sense of hopelessness. Some of us are locked into things from the past things that have been unjustly said about us that we can't forget from our childhood. Some of us are locked into grudges and inability to forgive people in, in, in relational situations that, that are, are, are dragging us down and we're in bondage to. We don't have joy because of it. But listen, when your heart cries for relief from that, when your heart cries for relief from that, there is relief. There is freedom. And Jesus has told us where that freedom is. It's in him. The truth shall set you free. And Jesus is the embodiment of truth. Day after day, the old devil tells us, nah, you'll never be free. You can never change. That person in your family, that other person, they can never change. People don't change. But the old devil wants to keep us not mindful of that truth of the gospel, that the Holy Spirit can change people. Amen? Hearts can be changed. Lives can be changed because of the Spirit that lives in our hearts as we ask the Lord Jesus to come and live in us today. Jesus is a truth that can set people free. Nicodemus was caged in hopeless laws of rabbinic Judaism but he said, God did not send his son into the world, Jesus said, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The woman at Jacob's well was bound to one broken relationship after another. And Jesus said, the water I give will become a spring of water welling up in your life, eternal life. To the man born in prison, the pr who was, to the man who was, who was chained to the prison of blindness, Jesus said, go, wash in that pool of Siloam. To Mary and Martha, who were locked in grief over the death of Lazarus, he said, I'm the resurrection, I'm the life, there's freedom in that. To Peter, who had publicly, willingly denied Jesus, Jesus turned to him ultimately and said, take care of my sheep, Peter, take care of my sheep. Freedom has a high price, we know it. And we've thought about it in the songs we've sung today, thinking about the heritage of our country. But freedom had a price for our souls, too. When we think about the night before Jesus' death, as he was bound and taken to Annas, the high priest, spit upon, slapped, sent to Caiaphas, blindfolded, struck in the face, 
taken to Pilate, who passed him off to Herod, dressed in a purple robe, back before Pilate, crowned with thorns, stripped naked, scourged, just short of death, struck, spat upon again, walked the Via Della Rosa, finally stretched out on two pieces of wood, nailed there with three iron spikes as he was crucified. His friends had run away, his possessions had been gambled away, his strength was going away, even it seemed like. As he said, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? But finally those three words came after all of it. It is finished. But with these words, something else happened. The bondage that I was under, the bondage that you were under, the bondage was broken. The sacrifice was complete and death was defeated and paradise was restored as a hope for us. It is finished might be words of defeat to some, but no, not to Jesus. It is finished means simply freedom is here. Let freedom ring. There's hope, there's truth, and the truth shall set you free. The same liberating power that set folks free in the time of Jesus is available to set me free today and you free today. Those of us who know the, know the Lord Jesus Christ know his transforming power daily as he transforms us into his likeness. But if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news is this. He invites you to come today. You, just as you are, just where you are, to join with us who come to him in the same way knowing that he loves us and knowing that the freedom of Christ Jesus the freedom from the bondage of sin and guilt, the freedom from depression, the freedom from a life that has no purpose and no hope, the freedom is there in Jesus Christ, and he invites you to come today. And our response today as we sing this song, Just As I Am, is to come to him, but also to dedicate ourselves to him in response to his greatness, his grace the truth that sets us free.